Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate. This week we have Mr. Wilson. Wilson's a kick-butt realtor in the Bay Area who has a team of 13 people. Eight real estate agents, five staff, has done over $104 million so far. Super impressive. Has manages 40 doors and did about 200 to 250 transactions. Wilson, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me, Brian. Definitely. Can you kind of walk us through how you got started into real estate? And this is a big accomplishment, man. How'd you do it? I, I appreciate the intro. And um, I guess we can, we can share from some highlights from the beginning. Uh, I managed property when I was younger, along with my sister when I was 16. Oh, wow. And early on, I was exposed to tenant situations, landlord issues. Um, you know, in San Francisco, it could be a little bit complex in terms of evictions and just cause and rent control. So we've seen some colorful things on the management side. But mm-hmm. most important to that is not so much um, the management of it in itself, but how our family was able to build the, the assets that they had. And it was from sweat and um, coming really from nothing. So I'm sure a lot of us people that are listening to this podcast were, uh, if we're in the, obviously the United States, we're all to a certain degree immigrants mm-hmm. and same thing with my parents. So from there, obviously uh, management, we got Personally, I got into sales. I went for my broker's license at the age of 23 after I graduated from college. Um, to be honest, I never worked a W-2 job uh, before real estate sales. I was always just helping my family. And my first W-2 job was actually two years ago when I became a productivity coach for our market center. At that time, it was Keller Williams. Mm-hmm. But since then, obviously, I've been in the real estate sales industry for the last nine years. Mm-hmm. And since then, the last four years, we've really started building a team. So the first four or five years, I was an individual agent and um, had had my um, ups and downs, for sure, in this industry. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's really amazing, dude. And I can't imagine what it was like at the age of 16 managing real estate properties. Um, it takes a lot of maturity to be able to kind of see and deal with some of the tenants. And hats out to you, man. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive, you know? And it was, um, it was definitely helpful having a sister that was in uh, studied uh, legal studies for her undergrad and went to <laughs> law school. So she's three years older than me. So props to her, but she obviously helped my family and myself and exposed me early on to certain situations and things that otherwise I wouldn't have. Definitely. Very impressive, dude. Hey, can you kind of walk us through like, you know, I know you mentioned that you started at the age of 16 and you know, you got, you became a, a broker at age 23 was very impressive. What was your first experience like creating your team? Like, what was going yeah, to So, um, when I started in real estate, it was uh, it was really frustrating. My first four years, I was an individual agent. Mm-hmm. I had aspirations and goals to do a lot of sales or help a lot of families. Mm-hmm. And what what you start to realize is 
you can help a lot of families. You can, you can help 36, 48, whatever that number it is that you set your goal to. And the Bay Area, obviously, with prices being high, that's, that's potentially a lot of gross commission income. Mm-hmm. But what I realized was what frustrated me the most when I didn't have a team or didn't have systems was if I had to take time off, two weeks of vacation, or if I had to take care of my parents or whatever it was, mm-hmm. my business would stop. So why, do, why did I work so hard for years and years to get to a point where if I took a week or two off, my business stopped and my income stopped. Mm-hmm. So that was really frustrating to me. And I never quantified that until I had good mentors and uh, good coaches advise me in terms of this is a real reason why you want to build a bigger business. That's mm-hmm. not just yourself. So one of the best things that I've, I've always referred to is the doctor's analogy. And I don't know if Jenny shared it previously on a podcast, but something that was taught to me when I started building my team. Mm-hmm. When you walk into your doctor's office, it's not Brian Pham, uh, Dr. Pham taking care of the receptionist work, signing people in. Um, the ner- Brian's not the nurse taking you know, your measurements and asking you questions and sitting you down at the, in the conference room. And Brian is also uh, the doctor. And Brian also collects payment. And Brian uh, diagnoses and prescribes. And di- uh, Brian... Uh, keeps in touch with you and follow up, follows up with you and makes calls to you. Brian can't do everything. And if Brian ran a doctor's operation all by himself, that wouldn't make sense. You would question that operation. Mm-hmm. So that's when you realize there's a reason why there's a nurse, there's a receptionist, there's a specialist potentially, and there's a doctor, right? Even in a, mo- in a small mom and pop doctor's office. And that made sense. And there's specialization and segregation of duties because there's, there's people that are better behaviorally equipped and skill from a skill standpoint too, to do certain things. So that's when, you know, it really made sense to me and why I wanted to build a team, not so much so I could make more money, right. Or help more families. Ultimately, if I help more families, the money would be there, but because I wanted a better way of life, you know, if I, if I didn't want to do the paperwork, if I didn't want to do, you know, the operational administrative task, I had to find someone to do that too. But it's one thing to, put a job out there and say, Hey, Brian, do you want to be my assistant? I pay $20 an hour versus, Hey, Brian, we're going places. I'm, we're not quite there yet, but I'm looking for a partner in my business. Mm -hmm. And with this partnership in three years, this is where we envision where we would go. And together, if we, if we are able to accomplish that, both Mm -hmm. of our incomes would be better. Mm -hmm. Our opportunity would be better. And also we have, we would have more flexibility in terms of what we would be focused on. Right. But we all have to start at this janitor level. We all have to start at, you know, picking up every little piece of the job and doing it, mm-hmm. understanding it so that eventually we could get to the point where we could delegate it at a high level. I really like that analogy, man. I mean, you put into good perspective for our listeners to be like, hey, like, you know, you go to the doctor's office, everything's not run by the doctor. You know, he, he does the more important things and delegates the rest. But I think I think that most entrepreneurs um, have trouble thinking about which parts delegate. So how do you overcome that struggle, and how do you break down the subtasks and tasks to be able to delegate that? Which ones did you do, and which ones did you delegate? That is the the most important question, right? If yeah. there's a hundred percent of the task that we can write down as a entrepreneur, let's say we start a small business. There clearly are more some things that are more important and some things that are not. Mm-hmm. And the things that are more important are typically in the minority of duties. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. There's one sentence that was taught by my mentor that once he shared it with me, as long as I self-reflected and I looked at my daily and my weekly and my monthly, Mm -hmm. if I looked at it and I made adjustments, I would get to a better place. And that sentence was, how do I incrementally remove myself from the business based on the dollar per hour wage? And that's sometimes a little bit difficult. On the operational side, it's really easy to quantify exactly how much a dollar per hour wage is because almost anyone could do operational work. It's a lot of balancing of many tasks, and it's also a management role. It's also a task role, right? So, but the most important tasks typically that will grow to business are tied to marketing and lead gen. And sometimes in a, in a small business or if you're an entrepreneur doing it on your own, you don't have capital to spend. Mm-hmm. You can't throw marketing and expect an ROI. You can't even measure that yet. You don't have a success record. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of times you have to start with your sweat equity and you have to do it consistently. And you have to obviously identify what that is for your business. That's, that's some great advice. So let's kind of dive into your real estate experience, you know? Let's talk about your, your best transaction deal and your worst. Start with, start with, start with the worst. <laughs> yeah, the, the best and the worst typically are tied to the people that, are, that you're dealing with in the deal, mm-hmm. right? The best could be the lowest cost uh, studio condo that we've worked with. But ultimately, um, I don't know if I have the, off the top of my mind the best or worst deal. However, the best is typically dealing with someone that's realistic, that respects your industry, that respects what you do, that sees the value in what you do mm-hmm. versus the person. There's, there's 100% of people, but there's a percentage of these people that are only looking at cost. And sometimes it's hard to justify value when all they focus on is the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we just have to share analogies. If, if you have a friend or a family member of stage four cancer, 10% chance to live. Are you going to question the doctor's cost or are you going to look at their integrity and also their track record? Mm -hmm. Most of the time you're going to pay that hefty bill because you want to fucking live, you know, (laughs) 10% chance, right? So that's the same thing. I mean, selling real estate and helping families buy and sell, it's a big asset. Yes, it's not as critical as life or death if you had some sort of illness. However, it's the same thing. You know, one, one critical mistake in a wrong hire or, you know, inexperience could really change the course of, you know, that person's experience of ultimately purchasing or selling their home or ultimately how much money they would spend more of, or they would, you know, lose if they were selling a house. Mm -hmm. Wow, man. That's really powerful. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for that, man. Um, So I understand that you do manage 24 rental properties. How did you get involved with that side? Yeah. So, um, you know, a portion of it is friends and family. And obviously now we have and started an end property management business that in partnership with uh, one of my, my key hires mm-hmm. um, who is actually my sister. And nice. because we've had previous experience of managing property, um, what we realized was we could absolutely create a business from it. And she obviously studied for a law degree and she would have to travel a lot from San Rafael to and from every day. And as my family and my parents age, it was important for her to be closer to home. So it was a win-win for on the, on the family side mm-hmm. and also on the business side. So a lot of what we're seeing is there's two types, there's two sides of the spectrum for property management. There's going to be the tech driven, the revenue driven, the growth driven um, startups that have venture capital money 
but they don't have to turn a profit versus on the other side of the spectrum is going to be the mom and pop, the old school uh, property managers that obviously have a lot of accounts, but might charge hefty fees and don't really do as much. So we would like to really fit in the middle. Uh, we see that there's a market where there's, as people age, a lot of people are long-term owners in our area. And as they age, they want peace of mind or if something happens in a family and they're, they're, uh, the beneficiaries are not local anymore, they're looking for someone that they could trust locally mm-hmm. uh, that knows the area that will make sure that they treat the property as if it's their own. Mm-hmm. A tech company might skip some, some things and might not be full service to be able to provide that. And old school mom and pop, might not be able to adapt to some of the new ways that obviously tenants find properties and landlords could find tenants. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the end of the day, this is still a people business. A tenant's still going to be living there. A landlord's still going to be needing to service the lease and collect rent. People are still going to be involved in that process. Wow. Amazing, dude. Sounds, you're very, very knowledgeable on that side. So definitely appreciate that. Comes from learning from mistakes and other people's uh, mm-hmm. experiences. So definitely wow. not from my own. I think, I think you mentioned that, you know, you hired some key hires in your team that, you know, you have a, a staff of eight real estate agents. When you interview them and onboarding onto the team, like what certain qualities do you look for in them? Like, do you look at their track record or do you focus more on like their personality and, you know, what kind of traits that resemble yourself? Like how would you make yep. your, your hires? One of the number one qualities is them being a team player. And how we identify if they could be a team player is not by what they write on their resume. Unless it's a very skill-specific position that we're looking for, such as recently we hired a videographer, clearly we want to see their work. But if it's a general ops person or a general sales role, we want to see how they can go through a couple hoops before I have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. So one of my VA's jobs is to filter through the resumes and ask some canned questions, where as long as they can answer them in detail, the last question is, when is it a good time for Wilson to hop on a call with you? Mm -hmm. I want to see that they could follow through on certain directions. They are detailed to a certain point. One of the questions also is about their goals. I want to see a a little bit and learn a little bit about their aspirations and what they look for in a team that they would want to join. Once I, once they go through that, I'm willing to have a conversation within the first minute of having that conversation, depending on a role, I typically could pick up if this person's going to have high enough EQ and have the, the skill set and what we're looking for. You know, I could care less about the resume unless, like I said, it's this very skill specific thing. I rather care about, of course, number one, is this person a team player? Number two, the, can this person come from contribution? Are they willing to do certain things before they learn about how much they're going to make or what the role entails? Number three, they're hardworking. They're hungry. Are they willing to embrace the hard work? Some people, they, a lot of our society nowadays in the school system is we can get a C and we can get to the next level. We can get a C in the next grade and we, then we can get to the next step too. In real life, as we know in business, that doesn't exist. Right? We want people that will embrace the hard work. Sometimes they might not see the fruition of the pay or what they're doing, but as long as they believe that they, they're doing something that's worth it, that they have a good mentor, let's say, in our team, um, that they could achieve something, we want them to be able to embrace the hard work. And last one in this industry, it's a people business. They have to care for people. You know, It's really easy to tell if someone is commission's breath and all they're in, in it for is a sale. Mm-hmm. So we want to see people come from contribution and really care for the people that they're talking to. Love that, man. That brings up a key point too. And, you know, what's crazy about this is that it's very transferable to everything else you do in life, you know? 
It absolutely is. Caring for people and putting the mission value first, it goes a long way outside of real estate as well. It comes from from you as a person as well, like how you feel inside and what what kind of person you really are. Absolutely. Definitely, man. So I I know I like one thing that you brought up is that, you know, talking to you, I think you're the first person in the podcast that mentioned that you appreciate a person with a strong EQ, you know, and I think that's, that's an underrated part of hiring um, for anything, to be honest. I personally think EQ is, is much more important to succeed than IQ. I think IQ can be acquired. I think EQ is something that cannot be acquired. That's something that you're kind of born with and you kind of work towards, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, we're products, and talking about EQ, we're products of our environment. Not saying that I'm a 10 out of 10 when it comes to emotional intelligence. And there's no way that anyone's ever perfect in that. But we are all influenced by the people we are around and the environment we were in, right? Mm-hmm. And we were, were influenced by that, right? So depending on how much, how much life um, someone has lived, getting to the point of interviewing with us or getting to the point of having a conversation with us, mm-hmm. we'll be able, able to tell, you know, some people that have experienced, I'd rather hire someone that has experienced high highs and very low lows. Because they've seen both. They know what they don't want and they know what they want versus someone that's been given everything in their life, you know, and they've coasted all their life because they had the ability to and they never really pushed themselves. You know, there's going to be flaws in that person because they, they don't know where the edge is. And if they go off the edge, how is this person going to react? We don't know, right? So instead of experiment with someone that's brand new in that regard, we rather have someone that has experienced quite a bit. Not not necessarily making a lot of money or doing something at a high level, but you know a lot of life experiences. A lot of times, your personal uh, influences, your environment, as you've obviously grown up, have a lot more to do with who you are as a person than obviously just what you do at work. So we want to learn a little bit more about these people. So we go through a life story during the interview process too. Awesome. We go through a goals talk during the interview process too, because we want to know if we can help them accomplish their goals. And we want to know how transparent can this person be? If I'm willing to share my life story, are you willing to as well? Mm-hmm. Right. Being vulnerable with each other is also very important for our team. Mm-hmm. Love that, man. Appreciate that. So I guess the next step, next segment of the podcast, you want to focus more on yourself. What is your biggest source of inspiration? What is your why? Love that question. And, you know, it took me a while to kind of pinpoint a little bit more about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, my team knows and people uh, close to me know that, you know, early on in my life as a teen, I was an introvert. Mm-hmm. You would never imagine an introvert getting into a sales business and succeeding. So of almost, you know, 18 years of my life after high school, after middle school, I would go home and fucking play video games until it was dinner, eat dinner, play video games until I needed to sleep and rinse and repeat every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sheltered as a kid, right? So I, I wasn't involved in many social activities and, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I had a life-changing event when I was 18. You know, my uncle was shot and killed in Chinatown. And, you know, I grew up around uh, Chinatown. And um, that changed my life. I never quantified why that changed my life. But that was the first time I saw my dad cry. That was, you know, to this day, my dad would say things such as, Hey, look, Wilson, we never have to worry about putting food on a table anymore because his lifestyle was he never had his parents around. So how grateful am I to have both, right? 
So a little bit about my father's history was he had to swim from China, the Communist Party, to get to Macau to get a citizenship. Eventually go to Hong Kong and his only lifestyle was the underground. And he eventually made it to the United States, but it was the same thing. That was all he knew. So, you know, part of my why was my my dad was able to raise his younger brother, my uncle that was shot and killed here. And he was he afforded the younger brother an education. Um, to go to college and become a prominent figure here in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And no matter if you make it to the promised land, that could be taken away from you, you know, whatever the reason it is. So never taking, you know, that for granted. And as I went to college, I was just so frustrated every single time. I always thought it was having really good roommates that wanted to transfer out of UC Santa Cruz. That's where I went to college. Mm -hmm. But um, I went from a very low GPA, disengaged teenager in high school that play video games every day to graduating three years with 3.5 GPA and majored and minored and I emphasize in accounting and didn't pursue any of that. And I was just really frustrated. And I just had a sense of urgency about everything I did. Um, and, you know, as I got into business, I quantified it by knowing that, you know, life is short. You just never know. And even, even if you have it all, you just, you know, if you think about Kobe, Kobe would probably give up over half of his net worth if he could to be here today, but he can't. That's just life, right? So part of it is making sure that, you know, one of my mentors that I look up to is Ed Milet, maxing out my time. If I am doing the right thing in a moment today, hopefully my next step is going to be in the right moment too. So part of it is my upbringing. Part of it is seeing my parents take risk. You know, they were in the shark fin business, for those that don't know, and we would have to travel to Mexico. And I slept in cars and we were pulled over because we were Chinese. We had a box fan with California plates and they wanted hundreds of dollars or else they wouldn't let us go. That was a cost of doing business. Think about how fucking easy it is for me to do business here. People think when I walk up to doors and I door knock, that's my bread and butter of how I created my business. That's fucking hard. That's fucking easy. You know, if you think about your parents or your grandparents, the ones that immigrated here for them, it was about life and death for us. It's about, uh, I don't feel like doing it or, Maybe I feel like doing it today. That's not fucking fair. You weren't put here just to do some mediocre shit, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know if we could swear here, but. <laughs> it's okay. It's a little bit too late for that now, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so my why is making sure that I maximize my time. The people that look up to me that I'm responsible for, whether it's my family, my friends, or my team, you know, I have to show up the way that I expect others to show up because in my life, that's how people showed up for me. So it would not be fair if I didn't do the same for the people that saw me as someone that's responsible and important part of their life. Definitely, man. That's really powerful. I could totally relate to everything you said. You know, I feel like my sense of urgency has developed a lot through all, a lot of moments in my own personal life. And, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm the same way as you. I, I always think about ways to max, maximize my time. You know, like, I'm not the type of person that likes to sit still. I have a strong sense of urgency, similar, similar to yourself. So it's almost like listening to someone in the mirror right now. I'm like, whoa, so similar. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll share something on, on this topic that I think um, a lot of people struggle with. And it relates to the seven habits. And if you look at the seven habits, they're categorized in three parts of your life. The first part is when you're born, you're dependent. You depend on your family. You depend on your friends. You know, you look for a peer approval, all that, right? Mm -hmm. And you get to the point where you say, I don't need to depend on anyone. I could be independent. I could do everything on my own. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, 
they they have a lot of limiting beliefs about hiring or about you know trusting other people because of maybe previous experiences mm -hmm. but we can honestly accomplish the most when we are in the last part of seven habits is interdependent it takes other people right we have to build that trust mm -hmm. we have to have other people um, in our life to be able to get to a further place and much further than if we were doing it alone as hard as we work as focused as we are as deep of a why that we have you know mm -hmm. it takes other people and it takes win-win situations and you know interdependence is where we can all grow and that um, goes into a lot the more mindset too you know like you think of you think about abundance and you're like, okay, like, you know, we can all win. There's so much resource and money out there that we can definitely all win. And when you have that mentality going to any partnership that you do, you're going to find the best possible way to win with that person. You know, you don't think like, oh, I have to make more, I have to make less, blah, blah. No, you both can win and it's very possible, you know, as long as you absolutely think bigger is your mindset that, that usually hold, that holds people back. It's like you have to think bigger. Um, absolutely. I can't agree more as of if the value is there, the money will be there. So Agreed. it starts with that and yeah. a couple of people doing it together is much better than one person succeeding alone yeah. and being lonely, you know, <laughs> small pieces of pie, many, many pies is better than one big or one middle sized pie. Right. Absolutely. Definitely, man. Hey, what kind of advice do you have someone just starting out in the industry? Uh, specifically real estate sales. Uh, real estate sales, property management, anything that you want to give advice to? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is finding a mentor, finding someone that you could see that is at a place where you would want to be, right? And sometimes we want to do it alone. We have an urgency and a desire to do it alone and trial and error it ourselves and gain the experience. And that's great. We will do that. But you could shortcut a lot of the, the, the failures that you might uh, encounter if you learn from someone else. So one of my biggest things is if you have the opportunity to reach out to someone, suck it up and just knock on their door or just give mm -hmm. them a call and just say, Hey, I think you're doing something amazing. I aspire to do something similar to what you're doing mm -hmm. and I admire you. Are you willing to, I would love to take you out to coffee mm -hmm. and spend maybe 15 minutes and just pick your brain and see if, if there's something I can absolutely learn from you because I believe there is. Definitely. That's great advice, you know, and I want to advise our listeners too that, you know, you really have to go there and you have to ask people, like, just ask for help. I think that that's a powerful thing that most people can go over, that they're kind of scared to go out there and ask people for things. And when you do, you realize that people are very generous through the time, you know, like people out there, they do want to help you succeed. And all you have to do is ask and you can't just, just ask and provide no value. You have to ask and be, hey, I'll give you some coffee or let me help you out dedicate more time to your cause, support them, create win-win situations, you know? And in return, the knowledge you get is very invaluable going forward. This is your foundation going forward, you know? Like, it's, it's okay to like spend a little bit of time like, helping someone else's dream while you're building your foundation to, do, to, make, to go out and achieve your dreams, you know? Absolutely. And if anything, people want to be acknowledged for the work. So you'd be surprised how often people don't ask or um, how often people want to help you. So, and building that habit to ask is yeah like any habit. It's one to wow. one key habit to have. So yeah, definitely, man. I love that, dude. Hey, do you have any favorite books, podcasts, or other mediums that you draw inspiration from? Absolutely. So, my favorite podcast is uh, Ed Milet. He has his some of his originals are the keys to success and 
uh, maxing out. And if you look at my lit up in those words, you'll be able to find it. He has some really thought provoking things and things that make sense um, in those podcasts. In terms of books, I love Obstacles Away. Um, Great book. And um, also Seven Habits, obviously. So. Yeah, Obstacles Away is a great book, man. It's one of my favorite by Ryan Holiday. Um, it basically basically tells you to embrace all the struggles that come your way. And all these struggles actually make you a better person and better entrepreneur. Yep. Yeah. There's always something positive to take from every single little setback or obstacle that you see. And you just have to look at it that way. It comes down to attitude too. So Attitude and mindset. Come down to those two. So I guess uh, one final question. So if you can restart any part of your real estate career, which part would you restart again and redo? You know, knowing that I was frustrated for the first four years of my career, I probably should have reached out to someone or stepped out of my comfort zone to be able to do that because mm-hmm. that would have shortcutted my success. You know, four years of frustration and doing it alone and not knowing a sense of or having a sense of direction, mm-hmm. that, that would have changed my tra- trajectory in my business, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously, no regrets, but looking back, that would be something that I would have done. I would have reached out to a handful, if not a lot of people, and just to see who would respond. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunate that I do have good mentors in, obviously, my life and my business. Definitely, man. Hey, so how can our listeners find out more about you and reach out to you? You can find me on Instagram, or you can just send me an email, or just text me, you know, or find me on Facebook. As most people, obviously, listening, this might be on um, AHN. i definitely included every or ig your email and your facebook on the the show notes i appreciate that definitely man thank you for your time and thank you for being the show man i appreciate that i appreciate the opportunity to share and if there's ever a a time or place that i could add value to your audience uh, your audience is more than welcome to reach out awesome thank you so much